Hello and welcome to Careers Talk with me, LJ Filatrani. Well, we've had a very exciting week this week on Careers Talk. We've made it into the top 10 business podcasts on iTunes. It's a bit like top of the pops for the pods. Top of the pods, in fact. And we are hoping to move up the rankings and dare we dream for a Christmas number one. With the lovely show we have for you today and producer Kate back in control, you never know. Our guest in the studio is a very interesting woman. It's Colette Hill. She runs her own PR company, CHA, which is in itself worthy of a studio slot, but it's her involvement with female offenders that I've invited her in to talk about. Society is actually much more critical of a woman who's been in prison than of a man, and they face particular prejudice in trying to find work. Just the job this week is with the Department for Work and Pensions, and all I know is that the post involves writing. Shahini Desgupta will be along later to tell us more. Pick the poster is Vegan Slipper, great name. She was in the forums recently looking for advice about jumping from translating to medicine. When I first started having this thought about being a doctor, I was like, that's really bizarre. Where's this coming from? And yet it seems to be fulfilling quite a profound need. And we will also hear from a couple of people who attended the recent Diversity Careers event, which the lovely Mark Palmer Edgecombe came in to tell us all about. But first, we have to say hello to Kerry. Hi, Kerry. Hello. Did you have a nice week? Yeah, I've had a great week. I'm extremely excited about the fact that we've made top 10 business podcasts. It's amazing. I know. It is amazing. So pray hard for the Christmas number one. I'd love a Christmas number one. I reckon we could give Jedward a run for their money. (laughs) So what Q&A have you got this week for us? This week, we've been talking about diversity in broadcasting. And that was a tie-in with a supplement that went out in the media Guardian this week about diversity in the media. And the reason that that issue is sort of in the spotlight at the moment is a lot of broadcasters and media companies, so people like BAFTA and Skillset and Virgin and all the big broadcasters, have um, pledged their support to the Cultural Diversity Network to sort of improve diversity and to share good practice. And you had an amazing panel. Oh, we had some really big names in the Q&A. We had Channel 4, BBC, ITV, Turner Broadcasting and um, Guardian News and Media had a representative as well. Excellent. A couple of interesting posts? There were lots, but the one question I picked out was from Hal Carr, who said, with all the positive discrimination in favour of diversity, how does that affect the chances of others hoping to break into the media and broadcasting industry? And the reason I picked this one out is because it's an important distinction to make between positive discrimination and positive action. Right. And as Yazir Mirza from Guardian News and Media pointed out, that positive discrimination is not allowed, it's illegal. The focus is on positive action, you know, schemes to let people know that there are jobs, to bring them opportunities and... To, to encourage. To, yeah, to encourage, absolutely. So I've got a few schemes to tell you about. Okay, great. Okay, so we run the Journalism Diversity Fund, which provides uh, bursaries for accredited training, and we encourage journalists from socially and culturally diverse backgrounds to apply for that. Turner have got a policy called Turner for All, and over the past couple of years, they've been sort of looking at their recruitment processes and where they advertise opportunities and how they spread the word about those. ITV has got a commitment to restructuring its recruitment 
process as well. So as well as advertising opportunities and going beyond traditional TV recruitment avenues, they look at professional development and stuff like that as well, so that people already in the company are getting opportunities. But they've got a foundation placement scheme as well, which is a year paid scheme, which uh, attracts people from ethnic minority backgrounds. And that's roles such as like researchers and running, sales and marketing, and even like technical stuff as well. So that's quite varied. That's recently closed as well, but I wondered whether it might be worthwhile sort of contacting them to see if you could submit an application. It was literally this week that it closed, so it might be worthwhile. Yeah, good idea. Channel 4's training and opportunities umbrella is for talent, and they do a lot of stuff. I mean, you should follow them on Facebook and Twitter if you're interested in that sort of thing. I've been following them on Twitter, and their updates are really interesting. They've got blogs, competitions, projects that everyone can get involved in. But they've got a positive action initiative too called the Diversity Production Training Scheme. And that's a year based with Channel 4 partners in the independent sector, so within a production company. And it's a paid placement with training on top. And the training allowance for this one is £17,000, which is considerably more than my first job. So that's yeah. quite attractive as well as being a good scheme. Considerably more than <laughs> if you're training to be a, a reporter on a paper. Exactly. Yeah. And that opens from April each year and it takes on about 10 to 15 people. BBC have got a journalism training scheme that runs for a year. It's also paid. And there's a chance to get 12 months employment on top of that as well. And that's heavily targeted at diverse communities. Okay, great. So we can yeah. put all of the details of those yeah, schemes. Yeah, links to all of those schemes going to be on, online. That's excellent. So give us a couple of top tips, Kerry. One of the tips was to treat your disability or aspect of diversity as your unique selling point. You know, the industry is really competitive. So if you can stand out and bring a fresh perspective, our experts really recommend that. You know, don't shy away from applying for the targeted schemes and for being open and upfront. Another one is to know the industry and the issues affecting it. So know about stuff like diversity. Make sure you're watching loads of TV, listening to loads of radio and what you like, what you don't like, what needs to be addressed. And uh, another tip was to try and find role models in the industry from a diverse background similar to your own and ask them if they can share some advice, have a coffee with you to tell you about their career path and if they can put you in touch with anybody, you know, try and make contacts with those sort of people. Good advice. And I think that you have something else to tell us about diversity, don't you? Yeah, we're going to be... quite exciting. Yes, very exciting. We're going to be continuing the debate, but we've got some very special guests joining us. We've got Amanda Boyle and Miranda Bowen, and they're directors of the new Channel 4 programme, Cast Offs. It's like a comedy drama, and it's a spoof where a, a group of people with disabilities go onto an island, like a reality TV setup. And they're going to come and talk to us about the programme, their careers, and the training and the bursaries that have helped them to get to where they are now so they're going to come in the studio on December the 8th I think and then they're going to come to the forums as well on December 9th so if anybody has any questions for them please post them that'll be excellent yeah Yeah. really looking forward to meeting them Joining us in the studio now is Colette Hill. Colette is a woman lured away from the slow and quiet world of publishing, her words not mine, to the world of PR. In her time, she has moved from wine to work, from employee to employer, and from male prisoner to female prisoner in her latest venture with charity Working Chance. Welcome, Colette. Good morning. Thanks very much for coming in. So before we chat about the prisoners, can you take us through the move from publishing into PR and uh, explain my reference to wine and work to our listeners? Well, I started my career in publishing when I left university 
But actually, I found it really slow and um, slightly dull. Was that book publishing? Yes, I was, I was actually a desk editor, which meant reading the book, proofreading it, and then reading it again when the page layout had been done. So no phones ringing, no meetings, no interaction with human beings, just me and the paper. And I, I just found that quite um, dispiriting. So you made the decision to... I went into PR, actually by mistake, because I went into a, you know, a, an, a high street uh, employment agency, and that was the job that they suggested to me, because I've always been interested in words, and I, I love anything to do with writing. And the move was brilliant. It was just exactly what I needed. It's much more dynamic. It's a much more challenging role. You're involved with all kinds of different people and you're advising and writing and interacting with people. And it's a, it's a great career, in my view, for, for somebody <laughs> with a di- you know, fairly outgoing personality. And the reference to wine and work, what, what's that? Um, well, I was lucky enough in the early days, uh, the first job that I, was, um, uh, that I got was specialising in the wine industry. So nice. my clients <laughs> were companies like Stoles of Wine and the American Express Wine Club. Nice. Um, yeah, very nice. And I did the uh, Wine and Spirit Education Trust diploma and became a wine specialist and knew all the wine writers who are still the same writers today as they were then. The company that I was working for rather abruptly moved me from the consumer division into the business division to run the business to business division. And so I suddenly found myself working in a completely different world of business to business PR and from there chose to specialize in the subject of employment. So anything from headhunters and training organization to psychometricians, those sorts of companies were my clients. So very different. So you worked in that for quite a long time for other people and then you um, decided to open up your own company? Yes, I, I saw that by the sort of the early 90s, the subject of the world of work was suddenly going from the management pages of the nationals, the back pages and the specialist magazines. Suddenly it was becoming something that um, the main news pages were interested in. So I thought I'd grab the opportunity. You've come in to talk about your work with prisoners. Tell us about that. Well, um, I think the thing about the company that I set up, my own company, uh, CHA, which specializes in the world of work, everything from recruitment to uh, retirement, I'm very interested in the potential that everybody has. Everyone has more potential than they know. And that really is the driving theme of all the work that I do. And when I was at the later stages of running my company and I was maybe getting a little bit bored and I needed a new challenge, a friend of mine suggested that I join her in her work with an organization called the Sycamore Project, which helps prisoners in prisons all over the UK to look at their lives in a new way and to consider an alternative way of being. I started working in Wandsworth Prison a couple of years ago. And, sorry to interrupt you, but mm. you, you've kept a diary, haven't yes. you? And you sent me some really interesting uh, <laughs> extracts. We're going to hear a little bit now. As we leave again four hours later, the men on D-Wing are out of their cells, forming slow-moving queues on the lower level to collect their evening meal. Most wear institutional grey tracksuits and light blue t-shirts, the colour drained from their faces by lack of daylight. Murderers, drug dealers, burglars, robbers, muggers, fraudsters, they look so uncomfortable, so demeaned as they carry their plates back to their cells. They will be locked in to eat. It is 5pm. It is the end of their day. We smile our goodbyes and file through the many clanking gates into the sweet evening air 
that they rarely breathe. You should find a way to visit. It is mind-blowing. So it certainly does sound like a mind-blowing experience. Yes, it is. How did you feel when you first went in and when you first met these guys? And Well, I think at the beginning, there was probably a little bit of uh, voyeurism going on. You know, I was quite interested to see what the inside of a prison looked like. It was a bit like walking onto a film set. And Surreal. It is. And Wandsworth Prison is caricatural because it is an old Victorian prison and it is echoing and the clanking of the keys really does happen and the sound of the men's voices echoing round. So it, there's a sort of vicarious thrill in going in, but you soon lose that. Um, what you don't lose is the, is the horror of it, the extraordinary feeling of the misery in the walls. Mm. Even after two years, I still feel so sad every time I leave mm. and leave them behind and, and think about the terrible lives that they have led up until now. So, yeah, at the beginning, I think um, you're daunted, but you very, very quickly discover that even murderers are human beings. And, I mean, that is in no way to make light of what they've done because they have done some really terrible things. But you learn to separate the act, the crime, from the criminal. I defy anyone to meet them and not to start to find that within them there is some good. It's just that they've completely lost their way. And no, not everybody changes. Not everybody is ready to change. But you do see some extraordinary transformations. And I think the first transformation comes for all of them anyway, that we are prepared to go in and talk to them. We don't know what their crimes are. And so we're probably the first people in their lives who have met them, if you like, anonymously, without knowing anything about their background or their crimes. We meet them initially as human beings. And I think they find that quite extraordinary. Can you explain a little bit about actually what you did with the guys? It's uh, it's a Christian-led course, although we're not preaching faith at them at all. And it takes the story of um, Zacchaeus from the Bible, which is a story of Jesus comes to Jericho and Zacchaeus is much hated because he's a tax collector who creams off some extra from the populace. And so he's scorned by the populace and Jesus singles him out and wants to go and visit him in his house. And as a consequence... Zacchaeus goes through this massive change and becomes accepted by the community. And over the six-week period, we study the parable from every perspective, what it feels like to be the criminal, Zacchaeus, what it feels like to be the populace or the victims, and what it was that caused him to change and how solid that change is. We also have a visit in the third week from a victim of crime, and that is usually for the prisoners the changing moment because somebody who's been a victim of serious crime comes in and talks to them about what it feels like and the consequences for them after the crime, the longer-term consequences. And often the prisoners have just no idea. You know, the burglar who goes in and ransacks the house and maybe ties down the family to do so is capable of saying, well, it's not a problem. They've got insurance. They'll just get the money back. I mean, they have no concept often of the impact of their crime on the victims. Very powerful. Very powerful. And and for me, an incredibly satisfying thing to do. So it's taking the work that I did at a very different level commercially of helping to bring out the best in people at work um, and trying to apply it to these men to try and bring out the best in them. And can I ask about the use of the Bible? Why you use the Bible? And how is that received by the inmates? 
Well, the story of Zach, as we call him, as opposed to Zacchaeus, is a very useful parable, and we never get any objection to the parable. We definitely don't bang on about it being a Bible story. We don't use it in a preachy way, but actually the fact that it's a very distant story, that it's almost abstract, makes it easier to work with. Yeah. And it takes the prisoners away from now into an abstract world where they can think in abstract terms. And that's helpful because it takes the emotion out of it. Yeah, I can see that would make sense. So now you have moved on from your project. Or are you still working with Wandsworth? No, I'm, still, I'm still working with Wandsworth, but I recently read an article in a paper about a charity called working chance and one of the things that I find very frustrating at Wandsworth is that we help the prisoners to go through this change but when they are eventually released there's no one to pick them up and help them beyond the prison so often they come out without any real home to go to obviously without work it's almost impossible for them to make a fresh start And what Working Chance does is help, actually in this case, female offenders to get the chance to start a new life when they come out of prison through employment. And Jocelyn Hillman, who set the charity up, has chosen to focus specifically on women because they have particular problems. Um, So she wants to focus on them. Oh, first and foremost, of course, that they often have children and they have childcare issues. Society is actually much more critical of a woman who's been in prison than of a man, and they face particular prejudice in trying to find work. And men can find work that is, in a sense, non-threatening to society. They can be builders or carpenters or bricklayers or window cleaners. Those sorts of jobs aren't available to women, and there aren't too many employers who are willing to welcome them into offices or shops, for example. So what's the plan of action for the charity? Well, it's a tiny charity at the moment, so it's very fledgling. When I got involved, which was really only a month ago, Justin was just launching a campaign to try and attract employers to take on women who've been in prison, the argument being that they're incredibly grateful, they will be incredibly loyal and committed and um, effective in their in their role and also to persuade employers to do it openly because at the moment there are some employers who will take on ex-offenders but they don't want to talk about it but if it was done more openly and employers were happy to talk about it and happy to talk about the success then we could help more ex-offenders into work. So if anyone's listening and they want to get involved how might they do that? Almost any way, because the charity is run on a shoestring and all help is very welcome. So, for example, if there's someone out there has ambitions to be a journalist, maybe they could go and, with some help from Working Chances, point them in the right direction, go and interview the ex-offenders about what's holding them back in their desire to work, what kind of work they feel they'd be capable of, so that we can build up a case study bank both of the um, women who are struggling to find work and of the women who've managed to find work. I mean, that would be incredibly useful for somebody to do that. There's all kinds of admin work that needs to be done. There's plenty of work that needs to be done. And if there are employers wanting to get And if there are employers, please get in touch with (laughs) Jocelyn. She'd love to hear from you because the biggest challenge and the one that she's really focused on at the moment is finding employers who are prepared to give an ex-offender a chance of work. 
these people are desperate and deeply, deeply grateful. Well, we'll put all the details uh, on the website so people know how to contact you and the charity. And thank you very much for coming in. It's been really interesting. Thank you. And now from us to you and our Pick the Poster. It's Kerry's turn this week. Who have you picked, Kerry? I've picked, as you've already pointed out, the hastily named vegan slipper. And this user was feeling isolated in her role as a translator, so wanted to move into something more interpersonal and is going to plump for becoming a doctor. Wow. Big step. <laughs> Let's listen. Hi, I'm a vegan slipper and I'm considering a career change to medicine or other health-related fields. What appeals to you in the health sector? You know, why did you choose that as maybe a destination for your career change? When I first started having this thought about being a doctor, I was like, that's really bizarre. Where's this coming from? And yet it seemed to be fulfilling quite a, I don't know, quite a profound need, I suppose, to be doing something with a lot of people contact. I mean, for me, the the thing about medicine that would be really tough is the science aspect because I don't have a science background. But the idea of being able to communicate really well with people and make a difference to them was definitely a big part of it. So tell us more specifically about your post. What did you come to the forum for? What advice did you want? Well, I suppose I'd already done quite a lot of research on my own into what the retraining would involve financially and also what kind of qualifications I'd have to get and so on. And I suppose what I wasn't so sure about was how it would impact on my life if I was training to do something as challenging as medicine and I was getting into my 30s and if I wanted to have a family how would that affect things so that was a side of it that I didn't I couldn't find so much material on so I really went on the forum just to see if anyone had an angle on that or experience of having done it. Did you get what you were after? Yeah I had a I had a reply from the health expert he was really helpful he said you know obviously it's going to be really tough if you decide to go this route and you're going to have to accept that, that this isn't going to be a sort of nine to five thing. He pointed me in the direction of a few other resources I could look at, NHS things and also other forums that I hadn't thought of. And he also suggested, you know, other areas that I could look at that maybe might not be quite as demanding as doing medicine per se. Did they appeal to you? Is there anything that stood out in his suggestions? Well, he talked about nursing, actually, like mental health nursing, and that's something I'd kind of ruled out. But maybe him having said that, I thought I could give that a bit more consideration or at least thinking about why why was it that I'd ruled that out from the beginning. So what's the next step for you? What what are you going to be doing? Well, I've decided to try and get my A-levels, chemistry and biology, this year so that I can apply to medical school next October and also doing some volunteering and getting some work experience If anyone out there has any experience of what it's like being a junior doctor in their mid-30s and having kids or juggling some other seriously stressful situation, then um, it would be really useful to hear people's experiences. That was Vegan Slipper talking to Kerry earlier today. Shahini Descupta, lovely name, Shahini. Thank you. Has joined us in the studio now to tell us about Just the Job. So, tell us all about it. Lovely. Uh, Okay, well, uh, it's for the Department of Work and Pensions, who are actually responsible for paying pensions, benefits and helping people find employment. Uh, They're actually the biggest public service delivery department in the UK and serve over 20 million customers. Wow. So, um, this position is for two experienced writers to join their award-winning internal communications team to work on online and print articles. 
They're looking for candidates who thrive on deadlines and are able to work with demanding stakeholders. Organisation skills are key, as well as experience with online publications. So they're looking for experienced people, not entry level? No, no, certainly not. I mean, um, writing for online publications is an essential necessity for this position. Right. And do they give some idea about salary? Salary, we're looking at 32k to 37. Oh, that's quite nice, yeah, isn't it? Very, very, <laughs> very high salary. So, if people want to find out more about the job, what do they do? They go on uh, guardianjobs.co.uk. That's more lovely. details. All right, thanks very much. Lovely, thanks for having me. Last week, the Diversity Careers Show happened, the one which Mark Palmer Edgecombe came in to tell us about recently. So, we sent one of our team, Claudine Love, down to investigate. <laughs> Okay, so we're at the Diversity Careers Show in uh, Grand Connaught Rooms and I have with me Daniel, one of the attendees today. So Daniel, how have you found it today? Very well organised. All of the exhibitors had a great presentations, lots of information on hand, very articulate about anything I asked them, um, very reassured about my prospects from here on out. Um, lots of options, lots of different industry areas, so I'm very pleased with it. Hi, I'm Head of Training and Development at uh, Bowen Leighton Pays. Now we're a city law firm and we're really delighted to be here today actually. Hello there, I'm Lieutenant Commander Mandy McBain and I'm here um, in my role as the Chair of the LGBT Forum that we set up last year in the Royal Navy and I'm here to stand with the recruiters at this recruitment fair. For us it's important that um, a target group that we don't get to know that we're here, know that we're LGBT friendly. I think it's also important for our own LGBT members to get here and go and see what the market looks like and be proud of who they are and proud of where we work. Uh, and thirdly, and I think this is a really important one for us, it's important for our organisation to know that we have LGBT people and that there's LGBT talent out there. It's been encouraging because people have been so enthused by the fact that the military are here and at a diversity event like this and whilst we're not targeting gay people we're here to show that the Navy is now an equal opportunities employer and is embracing all types of diversity. Hello my name is um, Alex Van Vliet, I'm an associate in the workplace programmes at Stonewall. And how are you finding the day so far? You're one of the primary sponsors and supporters of the event today. Uh, we are indeed. Um, Stonewall is really pleased that so many major employers have come out to support um, a diversity initiative and that so many um, prominent employers are looking to recruit gay staff. Hello, I'm Ben Summerskill from Stonewall. I'm the chief executive. We're delighted that today's gone so well. There have been almost a 1,000 people here. And one of the things that's been, you know, in some sense, counterintuitive for us in the last couple of years is that there are major employers and employers like Credit Suisse and Barclays who, in spite of the recession, have said this is precisely the time when we need to focus on not just recruiting but retaining the very best talent regardless of background. Stonewall um, produces an annual recruitment guide called Starting Out for um, Gay and Lesbian Employees. Our recruitment guide for 2009-2010 has just been released and it's the biggest we've ever produced with over 400 employers who are all looking to um, advertise themselves as a gay-friendly employer. We recommend anyone who uh, is interested in looking, uh, working for a gay-friendly employer to visit www.startingoutguide.org.uk. One of the really fascinating things we've heard this year from some uh, people in the university careers service is actually some heterosexual women have started looking at Stonewall's recruitment guide and the reason for that is because they believe that you know, if an employer is doing work around sexual orientation and trying to do it effectively then probably 
they're reasonably committed to the other things too, that it's not just, you know, mouthing some, some warm words. So um, would you have any advice to anyone else that maybe might want to come to this next year or even the Guardian one next year? Would you, what would you say to them? I suppose just make sure that you identify the exhibitors, identify the industry areas that you're looking to go into, um, print off plenty of CVs um, because there are countless opportunities out there and as well as that you might find yourself looking at exhibitors that you wouldn't think you would be interested in but when you find out a little bit more about their practice area, about their industry it turns out that you might actually be interested in applying for their, the work that they offer. So don't go in with any kind of prejudice or prejudgments about it. Just go in with an open mind, but make sure that you have your homework done as well. That was Claude down at the Diversity Careers Show. Well, that's about it. Just enough time to tell you what's coming up next week. Kerry? Yeah, we've got a busy week ahead. We've got four live Q&As next week. So we're starting on Monday, which is November the 30th, with a discussion on careers in pharmacy, which is one of the fastest growing sectors in healthcare. Is it now? It is, yes. And then on December the 2nd, we're talking about admin and secretarial careers. And there's a lot of recruitment specialists who are joining us for that. On December the 3rd, we're discussing graduate schemes, so what's out there, how to apply, how to stand out. And December the 4th, it's careers in the prison service with a focus on their graduate scheme, which is now open. Excellent. Thanks very much. Many thanks to our guest, Colette Hill, our reporter on the streets, Claude, Shahini from Guardian Jobs, our poster, Vegan Slipper, and of course, thanks as always to Kerry. Thank you. Don't forget, you can find out more information on everything we've talked about and more by going to careers.guardian.co.uk. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. I'm LJ Filatrani. Thanks for listening.